0: Focused on a new series this morning. Like to turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter one, and uh, the series is titled "Living in Hope," exploring First and Second Thessalonians. As Norm has already touched on this morning, uh, we await the second coming of the Lord. And this is a theme that appears in both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. They're a church that has been formed in a fairly short time relative to Paul's other mission journeys. Uh, We'll touch on that a little later. But they've been born into opposition and persecution and uh, yet, they show really that they're, they're a model church in many aspects in terms of the things that are revealed to here, to us here. But Paul writes to encourage them, and uh, we'll cover various aspects. As Nora mentioned, our title for this morning is "Transformed by the Gospel." Really, verses one to ten are a whole unit. Uh, there's a, a, an overlap and a repetition. Uh, but there was too much in it to do all ten verses, so uh, we'll be full uh, seeking to do just these first five verses. But I'll give you an overview of the book as well, of 1 Thessalonians as well, so we know where it's coming. Okay. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you, and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. I don't know whether you've ever been somewhere and uh, met some people for the first time and you've just really gelled with them. And uh, then the time that you're you're there is all too short and you go away and you, you remember them. I remember uh, before I came here in 1995, I had the opportunity to the uh, go to the Grace Community Church Pastors Conference, no, the Shepherds Conference, and uh, uh, I remember we stayed, I stayed, uh, uh, well, I and one of uh, Bob, another chap a Presbyterian elder from uh, New South Wales, country New South Wales, stayed with a family which ran a home group and uh, we were there just three weekends, two weeks, but I can still remember the faces of those folk. One of the fa- families, the family that we stayed with later, sadly, I heard some tragic news that that brings them to mind to pray for them. Uh, as, as the Lord reminds me. I can't say like Paul every day, uh, but you have that sort of experience and you come away and, and lingers in your mind the memories and the, the concern for and uh, remembering the joys of the time that you spent together. We were there just three Sundays, but we knew where to find everyone from our home group uh, on those particular Sundays, and that's amid a mixing of around 7,000 people. So um, they had two services, three and a half thousand in each and you came and we just sort of knew the spot their home group would meet and we'd catch up with everyone as well as during the week. That's the sort of relationship that we come to in this book. It's a friendship that lingers that, that Paul is writing to in First Thessalonians, a theme is that for them to persevere and live godly lives while awaiting the day of the Lord. In the outline, you can I'll give you a couple of outlines here. They're basically very similar, but uh, Paul uh, and the Thessalonian Church, uh, in chapters one, verses one through to three thirteen, And then exhortations concerning the day of the Lord in chapter 4, verses 5 to 11, and then concluding exhortations in 5, 12 to 18. This one gives you a summary, if you can see it there. Don't try to read the, the smaller print too much. But chapters 1 to 3 are commendation or encouragement. Chapter 1 is the Thessalonian example. Chapter 2, Paul's history with them. Chapter 3, Timothy's visit and report. And then chapters 4, challenge and exhortation. Chapter 4, grow in love and hope. And chapter 5, preparation for Christ's return. Uh, Someone has noted that the first three chapters uh, have no commands in them. And then in the last two chapters, there's 24 commands uh, as the... uh, the challenge or the exhortation is given to them. A theme verse may, and and different people bring up different theme verses, but a theme verse really may may ultimately be this one, 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you... Excel still more. That They keep growing in that direction that they follow on. Now we're going to start in verse 1 with the greeting. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now we could skip over that and a lot of sermons do, but I want you to notice uh, certain things. Firstly, there's no additional word of identification like apostle, brother, bond servants, etc., which you'll find in most of Paul's other letters. Because all three men are known and loved by the Thessalonians. They know these guys, and uh, they're responding warmly to them. So we look at the author and co-laborers, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Paul, the writer of this uh, epistle, Paul, uh, Bruce Hurt notes that Paul is from Latin, palos, meaning little or small. Some people have concluded from that that Paul was a small man. We have no actual evidence that that is the case, but before his Damascus Road experience, he was known by his name, Hebrew name Saul, uh, or Sha'ul, if you, if you were doing it in, in uh, Hebrew, in Greek, it's salos, which means desired, asked or asked for. Paul is always referred to Saul in Acts until his clash with Simon Jesus at Paphos when Luke suddenly writes in Acts uh, 13.9, uh, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. It was a, an act of... Uh, Uh, standing against what uh, Simon Bar-Jesus was uh, was doing at that time. From this point on in Acts and in his letters, he's always referred to as Paul. The other two are Silvanus, who you might know as Silas. That's his uh, Hebrew name. That's where he was well known in the Church of Jerusalem. He's a long and experienced companion of Paul. He travelled with Paul on his second missionary journey and was imprisoned and set free with Paul in the Philippian jail and you can remember they were singing hymns at midnight when the earthquake struck and the doors were opened and uh, the jailer feared for his life that they had fled but uh, Paul assures him that they are all st- that all the prisoners are still there and then leads the uh, the, the the jailer and his family to the Lord When Paul first came to Thessalonica, Thessalonica or Thessalonica, Silas came with him, and therefore the Thessalonians knew him well. Silvanus is his actually Latin name, his Roman name. Timothy, of course, is Paul's most notable disciple who travelled on the second and third missionary journeys and stayed near Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. Later he served in Ephesus and spent time in prison, we find in Hebrews 13, 23. He appears in all the epistles of Paul except Galatians and Ephesians. And he was associated with Paul longer than any one of the, uh, any one of the uh, other followers and uh, missionaries that, that are mentioned with Paul in Acts and in the letters. The recipients... Uh, it says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul identifies the recipients of the letter in three ways. And I just want to break it down a little to think it through. Firstly, uh, the church, um, yeah, their location identity, it was written to the church. First thing, don't worry about the location physically, yet we'll do that in a second, to the church. And it's the ecclesia, from ek, meaning out, and kalain to call or summon. Originally it's with a a, a secular meaning, an assembly of citizens regularly summarised. It was used in the Greek Old Testament to speak of the synagogue, Uh, synagogue being synagoge, again coming together, called together, Uh, But it begins to take on a nuance in the New Testament. uh, And Thomas Constable notes a local church is a group of people called out by God from the massive humanity to a life of separation to him. That's who they are. They are the church. This is the living body of Christ in this location. And of course the location physically is of the Thessalonians. Thessalonica today is actually in Greek Thessaloniki, big city. It was then, and it's the, now. The, it's the second largest city after Athens in Greece. It was in the Roman province of Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. There's quite a bit of confusion over the name Macedonia. In fact, the Greeks didn't like the, uh, the, 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 the country of Macedonia using that name, and now they, they are referred to as uh, North Macedonia, <laughs> just to appell to, to the tensions between countries. On Paul's second mission journey, he was imprisoned in Philippi and then miraculously freed from jail, only to be kicked out of the city. Then he came to Thessalonica, the prosperous capital, and had a population even then of around 200,000, so it was a, a big city of the province of Macedonia in northern Greece, located on the famous Ignatian Way, which, along with the city's thriving seaport, made Thessalonica one of the wealthiest and most flourishing trade centres in the Roman Empire. It was recognised as a free city, and it was allowed self-rule. There were no Roman soldiers. There was no Roman governor. This city was allowed to operate because it worked Harmoniously with the Roman authorities, and it was given a free status. So you can imagine when uh, Paul starts preaching the gospel, and the Jews go to Jason uh, uh, and and uh, <laughs> and kick up a fuss, that the populace is they're preaching some king other than other than Caesar, and so they, they're fearing for losing their status as a free city. It was allowed self-rule and was exempt from most of the restrictions placed by Rome on other cities in the empire. And with its international flavor, however, came many pagan religions and cultural influences that challenged the faith of the young Christians there. And by the way, I'll just mention there, uh, Acts 17 recalls that Paul preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So most commentators conclude that Paul was only there for three weeks at the most. Well, actually, three Sabbaths is like at the time I was in Los Angeles, which was two weeks, but we were there for three weekends, so some people even say 2 weeks. he was only there two weeks. Uh, but Leon Morris suggests that, no, the evidence of the relationship between Paul and this he could have been there for several months. It's obviously they're well-grounded. As we get into the letter and Gene gets uh, brought up similar evidences in the book of First Thessalonians to suggest that he was probably there longer, that it's tended to become known, oh, Paul was only there three weeks. Luke doesn't give us the details further than mentioning the three Sabbaths in the synagogue. Now, its location, other location, is its spiritual location. It is the church... Yes, at Thessalonica, but it's in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As one commentary says, here is one of the simplest statements we have about the true nature of the Christian church. It is a company of believers in a particular place who affirm they are children of God their Father and who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. This is important. No matter our sphere of trouble or pain... As believers, we need to remember the spiritual sphere in which we also live as those who are in God the Father and in the Saviour, the Lord Jesus. uh, The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's our identity, that's our location. It's not we are the church in Forestfield, but we are ultimately the church in Jesus Christ. We are the church that is in God, what, what a tremendous reassurance, what a source of hope. And we know that he's coming again. And so that's the source of our hope. Then we look at the salutation grace to you and peace. Now, it, it's a standard letter form of the first century, but Paul made it uniquely Christian by substituting the word for greeting, which is caron, uh, with the word for grace, carus. Similar sound but it has a significantly different uh, meaning. As, as uh, Leon Morris says, the change in the Greek form, though slight in sound, to is great in sense. Grace fundamentally means that which causes joy, a shade of meaning we may still discern when we speak of a graceful action of the, or the social graces. It means to... It comes to mean favour, kindness, and then especially God's kindness to man in providing for his spiritual needs in Christ. Peace, uh, irony, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew shalom, meaning favour, well-being, and prosperity in the wider sense, especially prosperity in spiritual matters. God's grace is the basis for and leads to our peace. We read in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14.7, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful because you have a settled relationship with God. Philippians 4, 7, after telling us to give thanks for all, for, uh, in everything, give thanks, he says, and the peace of God, uh, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have this settled relationship with God. When everything else is in turmoil around us, when, when Peter kept his eyes and we touched recently when Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on water. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And we're just the same. When we get our eyes on the circumstances around us, we feel troubled. We felt anything but peace. And the rest, the, uh, the answer to that is to get our eyes back on who, in whom we are, in God, in Christ. Through him we have peace, and we can have peace no matter the circumstances. Uh, A peace that passes all understanding. Now in verses 2 to 3, we come to uh, uh, what I've titled as the attitude of gratitude. And I I just want to touch on this for for a moment, because I, I, I nearly, instead of this series, I was thinking of doing a series on gratitude. It is one of the evidences of the work of grace in our life that we can give thanks in and for everything. But in the flesh, we struggle with it. And all too often as Christians, we're prone to doing the very opposite to gratitude. We're prone to grumbling, okay? Because we're not thankful because we can't give thanks in and for everything because somebody's upset us or somebody didn't do something to our liking. The Apostle Paul shows for us a different model and he calls us to it and we will see other examples. In fact, six times in First Thessalonians, he gives expression to gratitude and to instruction about gratitude. Paul continually expresses thanks to God for the work he is doing in the lives of the believers he writes his letters to. As Paul Apple notes, the missionary team, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, want to express their bond of connectivity with the believers back in Thessalonica. The type of glue that is holding them together. It's not out of sight, out of mind. They are still bonded to this, these folk. And so we find that he's praying for them in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, he has a persistent pattern of prayer. He prayed frequently for the entire flock. And it's in the present tense, which means it's regularly recurring. In fact, Hebert, one of the commentators, says it is their practice to give thanks to God continually, never skipping a single day. Wouldn't it be wonderful? <laughs> if in our attitude of gratitude for the body of Christ, which is in him, that means it's sourced by his grace, if every day we were in the way of giving thanks for the whole body. Now, you know the old saying that uh, some people, uh, to live uh, uh, with the saints above will be glory, to live below with with the saints below is another story. (laughs) But that doesn't reflect, that statement doesn't reflect the grace of God at work in the midst of his people. Yeah, there are some challenges along the way, some tensions and some tests, but what is our response? If we're grumbling, we are not exhibiting the the, uh, the grace of God nor are we seeing the grace of God that is actually at work behind everything that we see, whether we uh, are particularly comfortable with it or not. He's praying for them because he's appreciating them. Look at that, that list there, and, w- and we're going to get into that and, and look at it. Three constantly, Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labour of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God. These are, three, um, these are three virtues evidenced in their lives, faith, love, and hope. And the, the threefold combination of faith, hope, and love is a favourite one of Paul. In First Thessalonians 5.8, we read, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The most famous verse, which is up here in these three banners, 1 Corinthians 13, But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians 1, 4-5 Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. In fact, These are the practical outworking of the Thessalonians' conversion. One commentator says these three appear repeatedly in early Christian teaching, wherever the ideal Christian character is described, and he includes the three verses we've just looked at, but also Galatians 5, 5 5-6. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22, and Hebrews 10, to 24. This, this is a key to understanding the transformation that the gospel brings to our lives. It will produce these works. We come to the first, your work of faith, authentic faith. As Jean Getz says, faith is a measurable quality. It produces work the Thessalonians' faith is evidenced by their actions as they engage in good works and follow the example of Christ. Jesus said in John 14:12, "He who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father." James says in James 2:14, "What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works?" Can that faith save him? Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In other words, faith without producing the evidence of it in the works that it does is not saving faith. We don't work to earn our salvation. And if you you doubt that and you want to go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that, that not of works, lest any man should boast. But don't forget, Ephesians two ten, which says, "For we are his workmanship." The very verse that follows, "For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them." There a church that that worked together. Um, someone shared with me that was at another church last weekend. That the uh, folk, the, the person that spoke that day, it was a visiting speaker. And uh, in a sense, he was speaking to a lack in that particular congregation. He, he, he mentioned that everything that was being done by that church was being done by two or three people, and he emphasised, "But the the work of the church is the work of the whole church." If you go to Ephesians 4:11 and 12, we're given apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do what the work of the ministry so if only a handful do it and I I thank God that that's not a message I'm wanting to uh, say to you here today I thank you God for the amount of work that is being done by the body at large in different ways in different areas but the work of the body is not the, the minister who we pay to do our work It is the work of the whole body caring for one another, and this is what this church was like. And in fact, it comes out of the second, which is a love that labours, and the labour, and the word is kopu, toil, in Greek, and it's a toil that is prompted by the love for Christ. The Thessalonians demonstrated their love for each other by working hard to provide for the needs of the whole community. I don't think we understand the early church too well, because for a Jew to become a Christian frequently meant their whole business circle, their whole lives were cut off and they became poor. For Gentiles as well because they're opposed and, and, and drawing away from the pagan religious practices, their, their, their circle is being reduced. And they're having to support one another and encourage one another. The Thessalonians' love for God and others is demonstrated through their hard work and dedication to service. As Gene Getz notes, love is an action word. It involves far more than feelings and compassion. It too is measurable in a church. And he says, note the following ways in which the scripture indicates that we demonstrate love. Love causes us to do our part in building up the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.16. Love serves others, Galatians 5.13. Love bears with others, Ephesians 4.2. Love helps carry another person's burden, Galatians 6.2. Love encourages others, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Love submits to others, Ephesians 5.21. Love forgives, Ephesians 4.32. And love offers hospitality, 1 Peter four nine. As Kenneth Larson says, believers would do well to check their lives and schedules and notice what they do for others out of pure love. The church is not, he says, is not a club we join, a retirement plan we subscribe to, or a competition we enter to win a trophy. It is a family of love where we serve one another. This is possible only because of our relationship with God. And the third area that Paul mentions is a hope that endures. And steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Literally, it is patience of hope. The word, Greek word here, is hypomenes, which means to remain under. They endure under the circumstances because they have a vision that looks to the promise, to the assurance of the promise. David Guzik says their hope in Christ produced patience, which is the long-suffering endurance needed to not only survive hard times, but to triumph through them. This is not a passive endurance. But as one writer says, it's a heroic constancy. No matter what the obstacle, hope always looks forward beyond now to a future. For the Thessalonians, as for all believers, hope rests in God's promised eternity. And this assured future makes faith, work, suffering and love possible. Hope looks to something that is sure, but just not here. It is coming. It is coming. In First 1 Thessalonians 1:10, this second side of this, uh, this passage, Paul says, "And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He has raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come." In the midst of their tribulation and persecution and suffering, they lived with their eyes on that hope. The psalmist says that in Psalm 27 verse 14, "Wait for the Lord." Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And you see, we find in verses 4 and 5 that the key issue is, the, the evidence is that there were changed lives. Knowing, brethren, he says, since we know the Thessalonians' response to the preaching of the gospel in the midst in their midst constituted indisputable proof of their salvation. The gospel is more than facts. It's part of an effective life-stirring energy that God uses to change our lives for his glory and to spread the gospel to others. And he says in verse 4, you were chosen by God, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Now this is a A a, a thought and a doctrine that stumbles many and uh, arguments go on in theological circles over it. But I like what John Stott said here. He said, to whatever denomination or tradition we may belong, the doctrine of election causes us difficulties and questions. To be sure, it is a truth which runs through Scripture beginning with God's call of Abraham And later, his choice of Israel out of all nations to be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you remember the choice of Jacob over Esau. And many people said, well, (laughs) I don't get that. Why does God do this? This vocabulary is deliberately transferred in the New Testament to the Christian community. Moreover, the topic of election, he says, Dot says, is always introduced for a practical purpose, to foster assurance, not presumption, holiness, not moral apathy, humility, not pride, and witness, not lazy selfishness. But still no explanation of God's given is given except God's love. In 1 John 12, 13, we read, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, in other words, not just our will, but of God. Paul Apple says election is the only way any of us would ever come to know the Lord Jesus. We were enemies in need of reconciliation with the mighty God of the universe. We were dead and unable to respond, spiritually dead he's talking about, of course. We were lost and unable to find our way. We were blind and unable to see. We were in bondage and unable to escape. In fact, uh, 1 John 4, 19, it's only down here in the small print on the right, but we love because he first loved us. Ralph Wilson touches on the same mystery He says there's a mystery in God's choosing or election. Why is one group receptive but not another? We all uh, muse over that. The gospel is open to whosoever, Mark 10, 32. But no one can come unless the Father first draws him, John 6, 44. We are called to declare the gospel to all nations, Matthew 24, 14, 28, 19 to 20, Luke 24, 47. But people cannot understand the word unless God opens their eyes to it, Luke 24, 45, Acts 16, 14 and 26, 18. He had chosen them. It's evident By the evidences that he's seeing. And uh, it's a transforming gospel. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your state. As John Stott notes, of course, it did not come by itself, it did not drop by parachute from heaven. No, Paul, Silas, and Timothy bought it. Before they arrived in Thessalonica, there was no church. When they left, the church had been planted and had taken root. How did this happen? The planting of the church was the direct result of the preaching of the gospel, which Paul now depicts by four expressions. And I've taken out the third of those expressions and made it the heading point, if you like, because it is ultimately the issue by which the other things happen, and that is the Spirit's work. It is in the Holy Spirit. It is a message by the Holy Spirit, a living person who works within the heart of the hearers to convict, to comfort, and to instruct. It's a supernatural work of God, not simply a natural response to a clearly delivered sermon. And I remember reading John MacArthur saying that he went to uh, visit a town with a friend of his and uh, another pastor. And uh, as he was driving past the bottle shop, uh, the pastor said, oh, the, the guy who owns this is one of my disciples. And John picked his ears up and said, what do you mean, your disciples? He said, I mean exactly that. I supposedly led him to the Lord And he followed what I was instructing, but there was no life transformation. There was no life change. And that's the key issue. To be a disciple of Jesus, we're following his path, enabled by his Holy Spirit to live a life. And it's a supernatural work. You know, we can lead someone and and we think of Andrew went and got his brother and bought him and we can lead someone to Jesus but we can't convert them if you ever say he's my my conversion my my disciple my decision for Christ no if it's genuine it is a work of the Holy Spirit And without the Holy Spirit, it's just empty air. It's just noise. It's just someone trying to appease you by, uh, uh, as it were, complying with whatever you're asking them to do. One of the great things we have to watch for when we're in Africa, and and particularly among some tribal groups more than others, is that uh, they want to please you go to Israel today and I've, re- I've read it of many times of people in Israel trying to convert tour guides and they'll get baptised to make you happy. But there's no genuine evidence of them following Jesus Christ as Messiah. It has to be the Holy Spirit's work. Yes, it involves a message. He says, not in word only. And as that verse says, now those who... Uh, were scattered, uh, The Acts 8, as, as they got scattered from Jerusalem. They went on their way preaching the word, and it involves word. The true gospel did not come with words only, but it did come with words. The gospel itself is a, a word or a message. Indeed, the word, the gospel has a specific content. That's why it must be articulated Or spoken. Romans 10 9 and 10 says how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, and then goes on to say how we need preachers to go out. The word has to be given. But notice the effect, but it was also in power. The Thessalonians were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who worked in them to produce fruit and bring conviction of sin. As David Guzik notes, the gospel is not a matter of mere words. In modern culture, there's an overflow of information or entertainment that often only amounts to mere words. Yet the gospel is more than words. It has power. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, we read, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the power, the surpassing gaitness of the power, will be of God, not of ourselves. We're fragile. The power is not from us. The power, if anything happens in the transforming uh, distribution of the Scripture, is because of the power of God. Are we convinced, though, of the power of the Gospel? Paul says in Romans 1 sixteen, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, and sometimes when we're hesitant to speak up, it is almost as though we're ashamed of the gospel. Oh, it's offensive. It might upset people. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, this is a little bit of a cheeky note, but I, I want to share it. Paul Apple uh, reflects his his viewpoint, but... I think there's an interesting point. He says this psychology doesn't offer the power to change lives. And he tells how he heard a presentation years back from a psychiatrist who admitted how hard it was to change people's attitudes and behavior, even if they wanted help. I liked, he says, his joke about psychologists. Have you heard how many psychologists it takes to change a light bulb? Only one but the light bulb must really want to change. I met a guy in, uh, and I've mentioned him before, but I met a guy in in, in my first year in Kimberley in South Africa. Uh, Our our pastor's course was being held inside the prison. But it it was in the outer area of the prison. It was in the uh, prison guard's dining room. And one of the church leaders came to me and he said to me, he said, "Uh, Pastor, I I want you to know I used to be on the other side of that wall. That was the secure wall. (laughs) I used to be on the inside. And he said, when Christian groups came, uh, I ran away. I didn't want to know and be a part of it. But he said, God kept chasing me down. (laughs) And here he was on the outer part. As a church leader, sharing with us and wanting wanting me to know of the transformation that had taken, he didn't want to be a part of it, but the power of God had tracked him down and changed him. And so it says uh, they were fully convinced, just as you, uh, and with full conviction. Now there are two possibilities in the way this is written. Um, and some commentators refer either way but uh, I've read it the second way but uh, here uh, the possibilities that it refers to the confidence of the missionary team in their preaching they preached with much assurance, much confidence and you pick that up in Romans one sixteen, and with certainty and of course we know as we are before Romans 10 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God it requires preachers Preachers who know the word with confidence and assurance and proclaim it with the authority of the Lord Jesus. The second is that it refers to the Thessalonians coming to a full conviction of the truth. And I suspect it's really a matter of both. The preaching was confident with full assurance, but the hearers received it with full assurance. The Holy Spirit gave them the confidence to believe the gospel and he helped them to believe that God had given them new life. The Thessalonians put their trust in the gospel with full conviction, knowing that it was the truth of God's word, not just the words of men. And we get a clue to that in, uh, this, in the last part of verse 5. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, they were exemplary agents. Thomas Constable notes the spiritual power and conviction with which the gospel was received matched the spiritual power and conviction with which it was delivered. Not only did Paul and his travelling companions preach a convincing message, but they also lived lives consistent with that message when they were in Thessalonica. And John Stott says no church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity, let alone credibility, unless it has been visibly changed by the gospel it it preaches. We need to look like what we are talking about, and that needs to be genuine, not, not faked, not put on. We need to look like what we are talking about. It's not enough to receive the gospel and pass it on we must embody it in our common life of faith, love, joy, peace, righteousness, and hope. So it's not just about Sunday. It's Monday through to Sunday as well. Monday through to Saturday, if you like, as well. That, that what people see of us reflects the gospel that we proclaim to believe and are proclaiming to others to offer them the hope. If they don't see the hope in us, then we undermine the very message that we are desiring to proclaim. Some people say, avoid the, uh, 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 you know, I'll I'll just live a life of witness, okay? Well, we're called to proclaim the witness as well as to live the life of witness. Uh, And and people need to be able to see in us that which is marking the character of Christ so they know even before we open our, uh, our mouths, and for some, that will be repulsive and it will call them, cause them to oppose you and to mock you and, and, and to do all that kind of thing. We're working with a neighbour over the road whose husband was very anti-God. And we got on fine with him, but he used to make little, little jokes on the side. And now we're finding out how much more he used to make those sort of comments within the family. Totally disrespectful, totally godless. Now, the lady is Catholic by background and she, she would go to church on Mass on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> um, she doesn't know the Lord, we don't believe. She knows the Catholic traditions in part. But it, 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 some people it's going to cause reaction. A neighbor on the other side, we uh, <laughs> when we first met them because they were recommended. We were recommended to them by our previous neighbors, who we still have some contact with, and ring us up, and we ring them from time to time, and we've still got that relationship with them. And uh, um, our next door neighbor used to make mocking jokes, light heartedly. We always got on well. Uh, and then one day I bumped into him uptown and he had uh, the Anglican church in, Cal- in Les Murdy badge on his thing and they started going to church again. He was most embarrassed. But gradually over time he's beginning to open up. And uh, we've seen a transition going on. Now we know some of a couple of their South African friends that were in that church as well but have moved area now clearly knew the Lord. We sat at a family dinner next door and uh, they just shone for the Lord. So there are are contacts and means, but the people need to see it in us consistently. They they need to see the evidence of what we're proclaiming. Yes, as a new convert, there'll be some rough edges and there'll be some raw, but they they mostly will have noticed the the initial changes and they're waiting to see if they can trip you up. (laughs) But that evidence must be accompanied with the confidence and assurance of proclaiming the message. And you see, changed or transformed lives, think about the title, transformed by the gospel, is what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. And we've said it many times, and for young people our deep concern is that you not simply get uh, churchianity <laughs> that is you walk the ways of and can comply and but that you genuinely know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and that you are following him, you've made that clear choice, you're not simply going through the motions uh, that it is a real life experience for you John Stott finishes the passage with, here then is Paul's threefold delineation of the church. It is a community beloved and chosen by God in a past eternity, rooted in God and drawing its life from him and exhibiting this life of God in a faith which works, a love which labours, and a hope which endures. What stands out of Paul's vision for the church is its god centeredness God-centeredness, not man-centeredness. He does not think of it as a human institution, but as a divine society. No wonder he could be confident, it says, in his stability. So let's come to look at the conclusion, transformed by the gospel, by the grace of God in the gospel. In praise and oration. Let us join with Paul, Silas and Timothy and the Thessalonians in praising God for his abundant grace and mercy toward us. In dependence on God's word, may we likewise depend on the power of the gospel to transform our lives and to shape our hearts and minds and as a result, walking in faith. May we each walk each day in faith, hope and love, knowing that our lives are transformed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's too far through to go back, but I, I will just go back to the encouragement verse, First Thessalonians 4:1. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Keep on going, and keep on growing as you follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we we just pray that these things we've observed and the various elements and lists, that we would know them as our real life experience. That you would give us the full assurance, the full confidence in the Word of God that we would begin to live in such a way as that others cannot but notice and we cannot but help but Explain and give account for the hope that is within us, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Father, we pray for your transforming work. We pray for your conviction of sin, where sin is hindering our witness. And it may not be the big things that we see of the sins of the world. It may be the things of the sins of attitude within us that prevent us from having a heart of gratitude and cause us to grumble and Father we pray that you would fill us with the hope and the assurance and the joy of knowing you that it would be evident in our midst as a people that there is a transforming work of God going on in this place, people may not understand it, some will be repelled by it but others will be drawn and Father we pray for that work in our midst I pray that i <music>